Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. College baseball coach at Carnegie Mellican. He has been very successful. He's been there since the year 2005. He is the leader in all-time wins and has also won two consecutive conference championships. Claudio is also a professional hitting instructor and a professional baseball scout. Claudio also is a TV show host. He hosts a boxing show as well as a podcaster. Claudio, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I've been looking forward to doing this with you. Thanks. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Why don't you start off by giving everybody a little bit of background about yourself and telling the audience anything that you might want them to know? Well, you, you kind of covered most of it. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to be coaching. I'm the head baseball coach at Carnegie Mellon University now going on 16 years. And I've been scouting professionally now 21 years uh, with the Global Scouting Bureau. Uh, what we do is we deal with major league organizations, independent, overseas, uh, the Asian market, uh, Venezuela, Colombia. We've sent players to all those markets. Uh, as you said, I do three TV shows with uh, two great guys, Luther Dupree and Smokey Jim Frazier. We do Steel City Sports World. We host a Steeler pregame show. Then I host the uh, boxing show called Pittsburgh's Ring Talk. And I started my podcast a couple years ago, the Claudio Relsano Show. Uh, we, I interview a lot of former athletes of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And I also interview a lot of friends of mine. We talk sports, and uh, it's a lot of fun. So I do that. And like you said, a hitting coach. Uh, I wrote a book in October. Uh, so I'm pretty busy. Well, let's talk about how you got started into doing all this, because I know you were coaching even at the school level, like high school and stuff like that. So how did you get into coaching and scouting? And you're doing a lot of stuff. So let's talk about it. How did you get into all this stuff? Well, really, it started at, at when I was eight years old, uh, August 19th, 1973. When's my very first pirate game. My uncle used to work at Three River Stadium. My parents were from Italy. They didn't, they weren't into baseball. They liked soccer and, and boxing. So I went to my first game and I knew that day when he took me down to the locker room, he took me out on the field. This is before the game even started. I, you know, something was going on with me that I enjoyed the atmosphere that I was at. Then I watched the game. He used to work at a place called the Allegheny Club. At, and again, at Three River Stadium, I, it was basically a restaurant inside the stadium. And I knew what I wanted to do that day. And I came home and I, my dad asked me, uh, do you have a good time? I said, I did, but I, I think I know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And he said, what's that? I said, I want to be in, in, in professional baseball. And he said, okay, if that's what you want to do, then me and your mom will do everything we can to make your dreams come true or give you the opportunity to make your dreams come true. And and uh, they were both extremely supportive. And, and through the years, you know, like everybody else, you have ups and downs. You know, I was climbing the ladder pretty quick. I got to Division One coaching, then disappeared for a couple of years. Then my next job was at Quigley Catholic High School for a whopping $800 a year. But I enjoyed every second of that two years. Then I got my first pro job, same job I have now at Global Scouting Bureau. And then I became general manager in 2002. Then I got the CMU job in 2005. But, um, you know, it wasn't easy. It was a lot of struggles, a lot of uh, 
rejections, you know, tons of rejections. Curtis, uh, I wrote every team there was, their pro team, their minor league teams, independent league teams, and they all said no until the Global Scouting Bureau gave me a shot. And it was hard, you know, but, and then on top of that, you know, people were against you and, and it isn't that they didn't believe in you. Or on you. So my, my, my attempt at playing professionally didn't happen. Uh, I had three tryouts and I didn't, I, I was hurt for two of them. The third one, I was completely healthy and I totally bombed. And then I decided to go into the coaching uh, part of it. And, um, and that went pretty good. And then obviously, like I said, I got into, I got into professional baseball through scouting and I've had several, many pro offers over the years that I've turned down. So it was kind of, I turned things around on it. But having said all that, again, I had two wonderful parents that were very, very supportive of me and always believed in me. Then I had several people who didn't want me to succeed for whatever reason that was on them. But so that made it even harder. Then I had some people that I worked with, to be honest with you, that made it even harder than it had to be. But it's like everybody else. You have obstacles. You have to overcome them. Uh, you have to either go over the wall, underneath it, through it, or the side of it. And, and that's what I did. And I used the people who were against me. Uh, there's an old saying, you use, use your worst enemy to be your best ally. And that's what I did. Well, let's talk about your time at Carnegie Mellon. Right. Let's talk about your success that you had. You've won consecutive conference championships. You're the leader and wins all time. So let's talk about that, how you got that and how the last what, 16 years now has been. Yeah. Well, I got it. There was a young man who was kind of an intern with us with the Global Scouting Bureau and somehow, and he went to a different school, but somehow he knew some people at CMU and they were looking for a coach. I believe they had three or four coaches like in five years. And he said, I, I know a guy who I think would be a good fit. So I, I they contacted me me and, and, um, and you know, here I am years later and that's in, in joining the global scouting that I've ever made it's an unbelievable school I always say it's like an Ivy League school this based in Pittsburgh it's a very very uh, you graduate you're right and uh, like I said I've been there 16 years and I've had unbelievable people to coach and whatever success we've had you know, they, they, there's an old uh, there's an old Italian saying, Curtis, if you ever see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know, he didn't get there alone. So I get this part in my life without my parents and, and praying to God for sure. And my work and my my persistence and that we didn't win any championships or or win any games without great players to have. Um, I had guys who gave me everything they had and, and uh, were, were wonderful people on top of that. So they've made my stay at CMU, an unbelievable stay. And I hope to stay there for as long as they want me. I don't want to coach anywhere else. You talked about how you turned down a pro offer for scouting. Mm -hmm. What made you make that decision when you were trying to get to the pros for so long? Well, that, that's a great question. And I've, I got those offers when I had already started with the Global Scouting Bureau. I had tried to, I, I wrote, many teams pretty much starting in 80, 88, or 89, 88, 89. And I got tons of, everybody rejected me, as I said. So I did it for years, right? Then the Global Scouting Bureau, as I said, hired me in January of 2001 after I contacted the owner of the company, James Gamble, contacted him in November of 99. As a matter of fact, a little story, 
I was working. My dad owned a landscaping business, but that wasn't the dream. I was coaching college, but that wasn't the dream. That wasn't the goal. Then, like, as I said, I was I was out of coaching for a couple of years. Then I got the job at Quigley Catholic High School and I enjoyed it. But obviously, eight hundred dollars a year isn't going to cut it. And plus, coaching high school wasn't the dream. So I contacted the, the Global Scouting Bureau, James Gamble, starting the second week of November of 1999. And I contacted him approximately two to three times a month until he contacted me in January of 2001. And he offered me a, a very good job coaching. And he told me it was a good job. He mentioned big numbers, but it was in Italy. And I didn't want to go to Italy. I didn't want to move. I, I liked here, you know, and um, I remember telling my dad, pretty much knowing he would say, no, nah, it's not a good move for you. But he said, yeah, that's, that's your goal. Let's go do it. Right. And I saw, oh, man, I, I didn't want to go. So my wife, we were going to have a baby in May of 2001. And I said, I know she'll say no to it. So I told her about it. I told my wife, Linda about it. And she said, yeah, let's do it. This is your goal. This is your dream. I said, Lynn, you don't understand. We're going to have to leave here. It's a three-year contract. I believe it was. And we'll have to leave here for about nine, 10 months out of the year. It's not just somewhere in the States. She says, no, if that's what you want, let's do it. And I remember, Curtis, I, I didn't know what to do because I said to myself, you know, my daughter's going to be born here or my baby's going to be born here pretty soon. I need to be a better provider. I need to ramp that up. And here I am not wanting to go. Am I being selfish about this? So I remember going for a walk at Three River Stadium for over three hours in the cold in late January of 2001. And I remember coming home and my dad said, where were you? I said, well, because he lived with us. And I said, well, I went for a walk. He said, were you thinking about that job offer? I said, yeah. And he said something that really stuck to me. He said, if, if you receive an offer like that and you have to think about it, then it's not for you. And it just, all of the bricks just came off my shoulders. So I called James knowing he was going to tell me, don't ever call him again, get lost. You know, don't bother me because you've been bothering me now since for a year and a half. I gave you a great offer and you're going to turn it down. So I told him, I said, I can't do it. And I thought, again, he was going to hang up the phone, but he said, okay, how would you like to work for me? And I said, well, that's what I wanted to do to begin with, you know? So I started working with James, but then over the years, I received many offers to coach professionally uh, overseas, Puerto Rico, uh, here in the States, obviously. And I turned them down, Curtis, because my, I guess, goals changed. Why did they change? I didn't want, I wanted to be, I'm the type of guy, I want my cake and eat it too. I want to be in professional baseball, want to make money. I want to provide for my family, but I also want to see my family. I didn't want to be gone all the time. And I also wanted some stability for my daughter. Like I've always had, I live in the same house I grew up in. Okay. So I wanted stability for my family. I didn't want to move to one, you know, to Illinois for two years, then do well and move to San Diego for one, then move to Vegas then move to Ohio and then maybe get fired. You know, um, I, I liked what I was doing. I liked where I live. And so again, I get to have my cake and eat it too. I get to scout professionally and I get to coach collegiately and I get to do other things and I get to spend time with my family. I, my daughter, I've never missed any of her events. I know a lot of coaches say that they didn't know their kids until they were in their twenties or thirties. I didn't want that. So, um, so I've, I've been very blessed to be able to do everything that I've wanted to do and check mark all those boxes. Well, let's talk about the Global Scouting Bureau. Tell us about that for those who don't know and 
all what they do and talk about even, if you can, some of the players that you guys have scouted and worked with over the years? Well, we've been around since 1998. The founder and owner, James Gamble, is, uh, to me, he knows more about professional baseball, major league baseball, independent league baseball, overseas baseball than anybody. And I've learned a ton from him. And we've become extremely close, not just owner and employee. Okay, we've become brothers, in my opinion, and I'm sure he'd say the same thing. But we, we used to, our model used to be we would run trial camps throughout the country. We would evaluate them. And then whatever level we felt that they could play on, if they were good enough to play professionally, we would try to sign them. We would contact teams. Teams would contact us. And we would sign players. We've, we've assisted well over 2,600 players to professional baseball contracts all over the world. We started an independent league in 2002, the Southeastern League. It has folded. Uh, not our fault. That's another story for another show, but uh, we, we did well there for a couple of years. Um, some players that I signed, one guy, Matt DeSalvo, who played for Tampa Bay, played for the Mets, played for the Yankees. And then I'll tell you a good story, Curtis. 1999, um, I'm sitting in my room. I was by myself. I was watching the 1999 All-Star Game out of Boston. It was in July of 99. And again, I was coaching at Quigley Catholic High School, which I loved. But again, it wasn't the dream. It wasn't the goal. So I'm watching the game. They had this great ceremony. They had the current All-Stars, the past All-Stars like Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, that Pete Rose was there, Johnny Bench, all these great players that I grew up watching. Then all of a sudden the camera goes towards center field and here comes Ted Williams, right? He's in, a, he's in I believe, a golf cart. And uh, again, this is in Boston. So everybody's going crazy. So here comes Ted Williams. And in the cart is the driver, Ted Williams. And in the back seat was a guy, is Ted, Ted Williams' son, John Henry Williams. So they come to the middle of the, the field and all, every, all the players, the current All-Stars, the former All-Stars, everybody just makes this close, tight-knit circle next to Ted Williams. They're shaking hands or giving him a hug. He's talking to everybody. They're taking pictures, right? It was just a great ceremony, and I, I remember watching it, and I, and I loved the history of the game. And I said, wow, this is just great. I got a great feeling, but then all of a sudden, Curtis, I got a, a negative feeling, and I said, you know, I'm about as far away from my dream of being in professional baseball as you can possibly be. I wish I was a part of this. I wish I was a part of that league. I wish I was a part of that world, and again, I'm about as far away as you can possibly get. Well, fast forward to, to uh, May of 2002 in New Jersey, New Milford, New Jersey. We're having a pro baseball trial camp. Well, who's there trying out? John Henry Williams, Ted Williams' son, right? And, and I signed him to a pro baseball contract. So that kid that I seen, he wasn't actually a kid, but the, the young man that I saw in 1999, that I was so sad and depressed that I wasn't where I wanted to be in life professionally. Here I am a few years later, was that three years later? I or three, what is it, 20, 20, yeah, three years later, whatever. I signed that guy that I was watching on TV to, to a pro contract. So, you know, that, that's just an unbelievable thing. You, know, you mentioned some of the guys I've signed. That, that's probably the best story that I have for you. That, that Again, whenever I do any speaking, one of the things I talk about, one of the titles of some of my speeches are, things can happen in life. And that certainly happened for me. Well, let's talk about 
you being a professional hitting instructor, how did you get into that? And you also have a hitting instructor video. So talk about that video and let people know how they can check it out. Well, I had the vid. I made the video in 2003. Okay. And um, so that's pretty much all sold out, but uh, thankfully, uh, but um, I got into hitting because uh, I was always a, I always loved hitting. I always studied hitting and to be very honest with you and I hope nobody gets upset when I say this, but I'm really, really good at teaching hitting and I would put up my knowledge of hitting and the way I teach hitting up against anybody, anybody, anybody. And in my opinion, hitting is the worst taught thing in sports without going too technical because it's just, it just is. Okay. And I feel I'm really good at it. I feel, I feel I'm really good at detecting somebody's hole in the swing, meaning what pitch they can hit, what location they can hit. I'm very good at that, but I'm also excellent at fixing it. And I do a lot of uh, private hitting lessons, team hitting lessons, camps, clinics, but they can go on my website. I, I obviously I live in the Pittsburgh area, so I do a lot of uh, lessons here, but I also do lessons when people mail me their email me their videos and I, I can become their I can become somebody's hitting coach if they live in Rhode Island or, or Florida or, or wherever San Diego you know all they have to do is email me which my email is on my website my first and last name.com claudiorosano.com and uh, but I really enjoy that I really enjoy whenever I watch a game I don't watch it like most people I'm watching the hitters and see what they do right see what they do wrong and I'm always trying to learn more and everything think I know enough. I've been fortunate enough, Curtis, to know and be friends with a lot of former Pittsburgh Pirates of the 70s, and I've always asked them a lot of questions. I've asked the pitchers questions about hitting. I've asked them about pitching as well. I've asked a lot of the former. I, I study it constantly and because uh, I want to get better. But uh, like I said, I, I, I do a lot of I, I rent out a little facility here uh, where I live about a mile from my house that we do indoors in February, March, then April, we go outside and uh, I do lessons at different cages and different spots. And, uh, and I, I really enjoy that. And the best thing is I do lessons with little kids, guys who are, you know, in their twenties, right. Who some of them have played professionals. So, uh, or trying to play pro and, uh, and, and when you help them and, their numbers go up there. There's nothing better than that, you know, because uh, you've helped them go to another level or get better at an art that they want to get better at. So I'm sure every hitting instructor says that they're the best. What makes you feel that you are the best and what makes your teaching technique stand out over another, others? Another great question, because I don't clone people. OK, all you hear today is hips. You'll hear guys talking about launch angle. You'll hear them basically an uppercut. They, they want to they want they want everybody to bat the same. We're all different. I had I had players on my I had twins on my team that were different. OK, and uh, I keep it very simple. Right. I don't I don't try to force feed somebody to do something that they're not that they don't want to do. For example, another thing on the lower one, they want they want everybody to bat the same. We're all different. I had I had players on my I had twins on my team that were different okay and uh, i keep it very simple right i don't i don't try to force feed somebody to do something that they're not that they don't want to do for example another thing on the lower 
For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.